So I'm here with Brian Newman, our legal correspondent. Brian, how's it going? It's going well. Great to be back. Good to have you back. So this week, we're going to talk about contracts. All right. What are the typical kind of contracts that architects deal with? Probably the two most uh, common types of contracts an architect may deal with is uh, an employment contract, when an architect is hiring either an employee or an independent contractor uh, to work on a project, or, uh, of course, uh, a project-based contract, when an architect is entering into a contract with a client uh, to design a building, either a residential client or a commercial project. Uh, so those, those are the two areas where an architect uh, most commonly would, would be in need of a contract. So what typical items are included in a contract, and, and who would typically draft a contract? Uh, typically, to address your first question first, the, the most important thing in a contract is, is clarity and certainty. So we need to answer all, all, all the following questions. You know, who, who are the parties to the contract? And by that I mean, are we contracting uh, with an individual? Or are we contracting with an LLC, with a corporation? So there's a difference, for example, if you're entering into a contract uh, with me individually, Brian Newman, uh, versus I may have a limited liability company, Brian Newman, LLC. So you want to address that at the outset. Uh, who, are, who are the parties who are contracting? So that's, that's the first question. Second question is, uh, what are they contracting for? Well, what exactly is being done? Uh, what services is the architect going to provide? Uh, if it's a, if it's a project-based contract, uh, what is what is the architect hiring an employee for, an independent contract for? Uh, if it's a, if it's an employment contract, uh, and then of course the issue of payment. Uh, what what is the architect going to be paid uh, for these services? Uh, when is payment going to be due, and, and how is payment going to be tendered? It's going to be uh, via check, via wire transfer, uh, and of course uh, questions about uh, in the event. Uh, that a dispute arises, how is that dispute going to be resolved? So th those are the key things. Uh, in answer to your second question, uh, how is a contract or who is responsible for drafting a contract? Typically what happens, uh, from my point of view, is my clients will, will come to me uh, with sort of a skeleton uh, deal sheet or term sheet. Here, here's the deal that we've agreed to. Uh, here's the timing of it. Here's the, the work we're going to perform. Here's the price we're going to pay. And then they turn it over to me and I actually draft the contract. Uh, but, but from the client's point of view, what I'm looking for is really the uh, sort of the, the heart of the deal. What are the, what are the key terms? And of course, I'm going to ask questions, too, just to avoid any ambiguities and make sure that, that we're all on the same page and try to, to eliminate uh, any possible uh, areas of dispute in the future. So ideally, you have a lawyer to help draft a contract. Uh, but if the cost of a project is not doesn't have the budget to to afford a, a lawyer what are the options for someone uh, who needs to draft up a contract on their own well it's pretty straightforward there's no uh in order to have an enforceable contract uh first of all in california you can have a oral contract i don't recommend that i think it's something that's setting yourself up for litigation in the future and if there is litigation that's going to be your word against theirs so an oral contract while technically enforceable is not a great idea but to, to come up with an enforceable written contract, it's actually very straightforward. Just write it on a piece of paper, say who the parties are, uh, say exactly what's being agreed to, uh, say uh, when when payment's going to be due. Uh, simple as that. And again, it's not a perfect contract, but at least it's something. And then, of course, sign it, have the other person sign it, uh, and you have an enforceable contract. And, of course, if you hire an attorney, it's going to be more detailed. It's going to have uh, more points in it. It's going to have more bells and whistles. But, but a real skeleton contract, which, which I have litigated before and, and has been held many times to be enforceable, simply has, you know, who are the parties, what are the terms, what's being done, what's being paid, when's it going to be paid, signed, and, and you're done. And that's something you, you could do on your own, although depending on the, the value and complexity of the project, uh, it may not be a good idea to do that on your own. If a contract was not drafted, 
prior to the beginning of a project and problems arose, would uh, emails or text messages, voicemails um, suffice in, in lieu of a contract if, if, uh, if a dispute needs to be resolved? Well, it's, it's a good question, something uh, we see very often. And the answer is if there's, if there's no contract, at least no written contract, then, then it's going to be one person's word against the other person's word. And, and emails, uh, text messages, those types of things are very useful in order to put the question there or put the situation back together as to exactly what the agreement was. And we see that in litigation from time to time. There's, there's no written contract, so all we have is emails, uh, text messages with negotiations back and forth. And this is something that, that may eventually be presented to a judge or a jury or to an arbitrator in terms of uh, trying to prove your side of what was agreed to. So the short answer is uh, the more you have in writing, the better. You know, uh, but but if it's just a train of emails, you know, that itself is probably not going to be a contract unless certain uh, certain formalities are observed. Uh, but if that's all you have, at least it's something. It's it's better than simply your recollection. So I'd say put put as much in writing as possible, and preferably have the actual contract in writing. So what are some of the lesser known important items to include in a contract that that uh, our listeners may not be familiar with. Well, a few things I always recommend. Uh, number one, a, a venue clause. And what that means is, in the event that there's a dispute, it answers the question, where is this dispute going to be resolved? Now, you and I are both in Los Angeles. If we had a contract, uh, if there was a lawsuit about that contract, pretty straightforward, file that lawsuit here in Los Angeles. But let's say, for example, you're in Los Angeles and I'm in New York, or even worse, I'm in London or I'm in Dubai. Well, then where is the lawsuit going to be? And from my point of view, if I'm the architect, the last thing I want to do is have to litigate on, on your home turf in another state or in another country. So if I'm drafting the contract, I'm going to put in a clause that says, in the event a dispute arises, uh, any dispute will be resolved in state or federal court or in arbitration if we agree to that, in and insert where I live or where I want the dispute to be to be resolved. Los Angeles and California, you can be as specific as you want. But it's definitely better than leaving it up to chance uh, in the event that, that the other part of the contract sues you and you have to travel all the way across the country or possibly all the way across the world. So that's, that's definitely a good idea, a venue clause. Uh, number two, uh, an attorney's fees clause, often a good idea. And what that says is if we get into a dispute, dispute ends up in, in litigation, the prevailing party, which means the person who wins the lawsuit, uh, gets to recover their attorney's fees from the losing party. So what does that do? It incentivizes both parties to act reasonably and, and not get into frivolous disputes, and in particular, not to file a frivolous lawsuit, because it's already set forth that if we get into this lawsuit, that the losing party is paying the winning party's attorney's fees. And that often is, is a big deal, because the fees can, can often be a substantial portion of or even greater than the amount of money of the contract. Uh, number three, another good idea would be an arbitration clause. That's something if you want to avoid uh, being in court, either because you want the privacy of arbitration, uh, you don't want the uncertainty of having uh, your case decided by 12 people from the community, from a jury, you'd rather have an expert arbitrator. So uh, in all 50 states, uh, an arbitration clause is going to be enforceable, something that you negotiate for. And you can say, uh, you know, in the event that there's a dispute, the dispute will be resolved in arbitration. And you can combine that with a venue clause and with an attorney's fees clause. So often the clause will say, if we have a dispute, we're going to resolve the dispute in arbitration in Los Angeles, and the prevailing party uh, will recover attorney's fees from the losing party. Uh, so you can put all those bells and whistles. Obviously, they may not be right for every contract, but something to think about. Are contracts typically negotiable? Always. They're always. always negotiable. And in fact, it's, I mean, the, the point of the contract is that you want to negotiate 
the question is, when is the negotiation going to happen? And ideally, the negotiation happens before you enter into the contract. So I always encourage my clients, you know, really hammer out all of the deal points before we put pen to paper and really draft the contract. You want to, you want to avoid ambiguity if you can. So we answer these questions and think proactively. You know, what, what if only part of the project is completed? What if uh, I'm not happy with the plans, for example, the architect gives me? What happens then? And these are questions that may be a little bit uncomfortable to talk about at the beginning, but, but the alternative is, is perhaps even more uncomfortable, which is getting to a point where you present me something uh, which, which is not what I expected, and then you want payment, and I don't want to pay you, and that obviously makes you uncomfortable and makes me uncomfortable. So, you know, most, most deals, probably 90%, 95% work out just fine. So it's, it's not a situation where, you know, most contracts are going to end up in litigation. This is really being proactive, uh, number one, for those deals that do end up in litigation. And number two, just as, as, as a business uh, proposition, we're better off uh, hammering it all out ahead of time rather than sort of leaving too many things to chance and hoping it all works itself out after the work has begun. Well, I think that you provided a really good uh, overview of the contract situation in uh, for for architects and and uh, professionals in general. Uh, if there's any questions from our our uh, listeners, uh, send them over to us at connect at rconnect.com via email, or you can give us a call or uh, include the hashtag rconnect sessions on Twitter, and uh, Brian will uh, be available to answer any any additional questions about contracts that that you guys might have. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right. Thanks, Paul. Talk to you next week. Okay. Bye-bye.